Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. We're going to read God's Word. Uh, If you've got your phone or your Bible, then you might like to open that up to Mark chapter 8. There's Bibles in front if you don't trust yourself with your phone. If you've got a phone, make sure you stay on the Bible app. Mark 8, verse 34 to 36. So after that, I, that passage that I read, uh, where he began to teach them, Son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rose again. And he spoke plainly about this, but Peter said, that's not going to happen. And Jesus turned to him and said, no, it's not going to happen and Satan's not going to, uh, uh, it's going to happen and Satan's not going to block it. Uh, and then he called the disciples to a response about what they have to do and this is what he said then he called the called the crowd to uh to him along with his disciples and said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up the cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it whatever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it what is it good for somebody to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul Thanks, Tony. Well, good morning. This bit of feedback. Uh, feedback. Morning. Trust everyone is well on this cold morning. It's good to be here, isn't it? Last uh, Sunday night we had a men's dinner here, and it was a great time. We had a statistician and social demographer. That's a mouthful. Mark McCrindle. He came and spoke to us and uh, shared with us just where Christianity is in today's society from the censuses that have been held over the past little while. It was good to hear, but it's a bit of a sad reflection, and, and some of what I'm going to say this morning will touch on that as well. Still got some feedback there. No? No. Did you know that there are websites that are devoted to sharing bizarre facts about famous people. For example, did you know that Albert Einstein never wore socks? Or Charles de Gaulle's final words were, it hurts. Did you know that Sir Isaac Newton was an ordained minister in the Church of England? And that George Washington grew marijuana in his backyard? Genghis Khan started life herding goats and both Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar suffered from epilepsy. Florence Nightingale was a a statistical genius and she's been credited with the invention of the pie chart. Not common knowledge, you might say. Did you know that Mother Teresa had deformed feet? Her feet were deformed because she used to pick out the worst pair of donated shoes and wear them herself because she didn't want anyone else to get stuck with those. 
in a book by Shane Claiborne, he said that some people thought Mother Teresa glowed in the dark or had a halo, when in fact she was short, wrinkled and precious, perhaps even a little bit ornery, but in a beautiful, wise old granny-like way. Her work with the poor in India, through her missionaries of charity, helped thousands of poor, orphaned and those dying of AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis for which, in 1979, she received the Nobel Peace Prize with its ceremonial banquet, which would have cost about $192,000 at the time. So she refused it, and she said, give the money to the poor instead. She said of herself, by blood, I am Albanian. Now, I didn't know that. By citizenship, an Indian. By faith, I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. But as to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Her legacy lives on in the Missionaries of Charity that she founded in India that is now active in 132 countries around the world, helping the poor, sick and needy. What will your legacy be when you leave this world? What would you like it to be? Would you like to be remembered as a good father or a good mother? Would you like to be remembered as being rich and famous? Would you like to be remembered for your philanthropic works and charity? What is it, if anything, you are seeking to be remembered for in this life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace in sending the Lord Jesus into this world, that through him we might have salvation and be saved from your wrath. We thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, we may have many dreams and many thoughts and many ideas on just how we should live this life and what our legacy might be, but uh, you have planned all our ways and all our days are numbered before you. Father, as we come to this passage in Mark chapter 8 this morning, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts, each one, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter 8 uh, helps us to understand some of Jesus' teaching on, on this, what should be important to his followers. If you open your Bibles to Mark 8, verses 6 to 13, and might be on the... Yes, there it is. Behind, I'm not going to read through each, but you might just uh, glance through those. And we pick up the story after Jesus had just fed the 4,000 people with seven loaves of, of bread and a few small fish. It was indeed a miracle. The crowd came to hear Jesus teach and, and now they ate and they were satisfied. But some Pharisees, having witnessed the miracle... Instead of accepting that this was from God, they came to Jesus and they began to question him. They asked him to give them a sign from heaven to prove that he was from God. Hello? Didn't you just witness what God was, had done in feeding the crowd? Who else could have done this? And still you ask me for a sign from heaven? Truly, Jesus says, no sign will be given to you. And so he got into the boat 
with the disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. But when the disciples had got into the boat, but when the disciples had got into the boat, they realised that they had only one loaf of bread left for them. Now it's interesting that Jesus could have performed another miracle like he had done with the feeding of the crowd of 4,000 and that would have satisfied the disciples' hunger. In fact, the crowd that had been fed actually followed Jesus to the other side of the lake, still wanting to be physically fed by Jesus, saying, our father Moses gave us manna in the desert. They wanted him to fill their stomachs. But Jesus is so much more than just being physically fed, isn't he? It's about being spiritually fed and having spiritual discernment. Instead of giving the disciples more bread to eat, he says something very strange. He said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Referring back to his encounter with the Pharisees wanting to test him and ask him for a sign from heaven. If we look at verses 14 to 21, we see that the disciples... They didn't understand what Jesus was saying and so they asked each other, is this because of the bread? They just witnessed the feeding of the 4,000, God's provision through Jesus, this spiritual dimension to God providing their need. If you like, Jesus demonstrating that he was the bread of life. He is what you need most in life. If you eat of him, you will be truly satisfied spiritually. And in a spiritual metaphor for bread, he warns the disciples to be wary of the yeast of the Pharisees. As we know, yeast is the catalyst that spreads throughout the dough. Brett would know all about that. It permeates all parts of the bread, causing it to rise, and it affects the outcome of the finished product. Some say it puffs up, just like the Pharisees. Jesus says, be wary of the Pharisees' teaching. They might be the ruling spiritual leaders, but see how they are leading the people away from God. They've created such a heavy burden for the people to follow their rules and laws that the people are now more concerned with not breaking the rules than they are with knowing and obeying God. Jesus is saying, follow my teaching and don't be fooled or influenced by wrong or misleading teaching. I guess that's a good example for us to remember in our spiritual walk today, isn't it? Our Western culture might refer to itself as having a Christian base, but as we heard from Mark McCrindle last Sunday night, whilst 45% of the population consider themselves Christian in the last census, less than 16% actually go to church, while those who recorded no religion as their religion has actually increased from 22% to 32% of the population. We are living in a, a changing world where the majority of people are moving away from Christianity and society's moral norms and attitudes are changing as well. But is it for the better? Jesus warned the disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. They were the ruling authorities of the day. And they were leading the people away from God. We might consider the same warning in today's society. Beware the influence of leaders of today's world and those cultural trends that are leading us away from God's standards. Be alert 
and don't be led astray. So easy to be caught up in the things of the world and the latest trends, and particularly for young people. You always got to be that one step ahead or keeping up with the, the things that are going on around you, wearing the things that are you see other people wearing. And for the most part, they are good things. New technologies, innovative trends. But we also need to be aware that we aren't being lured away from obedient lives to God's word. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? The allure can be strong, especially if your friends are encouraging you to go along with what they're doing. And it's especially strong for our kids. You know, if you ask young adults today their thoughts on living together before marriage, I think you'll be told there's nothing wrong with that. Even some Christian couples I know of don't see anything wrong to be in such a relationship. And it seems today that gay marriage is fully accepted by our society by those outside of the Christian church and even some within, and they can't understand why the church has taken a stand against solemnising such arrangements, such marriages. Beware of the yeast of the leaders and the subtle changes in today's society, the subtle changes in our cultural norms. You know, the Bible tells us to train a child in the way they should go, and when they grow older they will not depart from it. So the Christian life is one of discipline, continually being trained in God's word and having a relationship with the Lord so that we will know the way that we should go. And it's a lifelong event. We don't stop. We don't just train to a certain point and say, yes, I'm good enough. No, we continue to study his word and be trained in it and by it. That's why we're here today. Not to listen to me, but to listen to God speaking to each one of our hearts. That's why we go to connect groups, so we can understand and share and encourage one another. So Christian life is one of discipline. Continually being trained in God's word and having a relationship with God so that we know the way that we should go. And with God's help, and as Mark said before, you praying for others and your family, our kids, our church family, even our work colleagues to come to know Christ and then to grow and remain strong in him. Mark McCrindle's talk was very helpful and informative. He told us that statistics show that the greatest influence on our opinions on Christianity today comes firstly from within the family. 57% of people said it was the interaction in their own family <coughs> Uh, which had the greatest influence on them becoming a Christian in the first place. And I guess you would expect that. Christians, children see how their, their parents live. Are they living out what they say they believe? Are they true to the gospel or is it just on Sunday? Are they caring, loving, honest, faithful and kind? These things matter. And you can't hide what you really are like from your spouse and your children, can you? I know that one of the greatest influences in my life was my nan, my mother's mother. Going to church as a family, and I knew she was praying for me. Train a child in the way they should go. So pray for your family. Let them see the authenticity of your faith. Honour God with your life, and he will honour 
and bless your life. Still not sure? Then ask one of the older folk here in the church. Ask them how God has blessed them and their family as they honour him. Mark's next highest influence on opinions of Christians and Christianity was the interaction of friends and their networks. That interaction of bringing people to Christ was at 25%. Who you interact with, who you mix with, who you identify as being a Christian with will have an impact, whether you are aware of it or not. And I guess I ask the question, are you being authentic with them? Are you honouring Christ in the way that you live, the way that you speak, the places you go? It matters if you want to be obedient to God's word. You can't say that you're a Christian on Sunday and then be someone different for the rest of the week. That's being a hypocrite. And one of the greatest turnoffs for non-Christians, Christians and non-Christians alike, dislike hypocrisy. So if you are a Christian, you must be true to your Lord and to yourself. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is how we should see ourselves. And in fact, it is how we see ourselves at our baptism, isn't it? As we are immersed into the water, our old self is symbolically dead and buried. And our new self rises out of the water, cleansed and risen to new life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 says, For you are not your own, you were bought at a price. And we saw that this morning in communion. It cost Christ's death and blood and for us to be, have a new relationship and to be restored in that relationship with our Lord. The price is, was Christ's sanctifying blood. And I guess that is why we are called to be his disciples. We're called to authentic Christianity, to be full-time Christians, not just when it suits us or when we want others or what we want others to see. Mark McCrindle says the greatest attractor for people to come to faith, 16%, is that saying, seeing people live out a genuine faith in their life. How do you feel to think that others, including your kids, are watching how you live your life? Would that make you modify anything you say or do? What do the habits and actions of a genuine Christian look like? And then ask yourself, is that me? The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you should imitate me as I, just as I imitate Christ. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and prayers and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. Imagine that. Imagine there are people here today that are watching you, watching your actions, watching what you say and how you say it. Not because they want to catch you out or judge you, or perhaps they do, uh, but because if they believe you to be a godly person, like Paul, they will want you to become imitators of them. It's a scary thought, isn't it? Which brings us to our, back to our passage in verse 34 should be up on the screen. It's a hard passage. 
But when you first, when you first read it, it seems like we're being called to a life of self-denial and hardship. Or is there something else that Jesus is saying to us in this passage? Mark uh, mentioned also what preceded this passage in Mark 8 is Jesus predicting his death. He was telling his disciples that he was going to be handed over to, to the chief priests and the authorities, that he was going to be beaten and suffer and then be killed. And after three days he would rise again. And after telling his disciples this, Peter took Jesus aside and he rebuked him. But Jesus sees this for what it is. It was the fourth temptation of the, from the devil. You don't have to do this, Jesus. Take the easier road, Jesus. Save yourself. You've got so much more life to live. You can do anything and be anything. Just think of yourself, you can almost hear Peter saying. Jesus responds to Peter with that classic line, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So let's read that passage again. The way of the cross. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus is now telling the crowd and his disciples, if you truly want to be my disciple, then you must have the same single-minded obedience to the word of God that I have. I have been called to give my life for the salvation of many, and I cannot deviate from that path. God has called me to it, and I must be obedient to my Father. What if I had have been swayed by Peter's words? What if I had not chosen to go to the cross? God's plan of salvation would not have been brought into being, and you would all still be dead in your sins. I could have been intent on saving my own life, not from going to the cross, from denying my father's will. But what good would that do? Where would that have left me? And where would that have left you? Satan promised me the whole world if I would just bow down and worship him. But I choose to do my father's will. I choose to be obedient to the father so that whoever follows me, believing in me, may find life and life eternal. Kind of puts a different slant on it, doesn't it? Jesus says to us, if you want to be my disciple, then you will deny yourself the things of this world, the things that lead to death, and you will close yourself, clothe yourself in my ways. Colossians 3, 1-14 puts it this way, and I think it sums up what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying, but also then what Jesus is saying. Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Those things that are going to take you away from God, those things are going to separate you from God. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, all of which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's holy, chosen holy people, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, all of the, and over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a great passage, isn't it? Colossians 3, 1 to 14. You might want to look it up when you get home. And you aren't doing any of this on your own. As Christians, as Mark said, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit always helping and always contending with our spirit. Jesus says to us, if you want to be my disciple, then you will bear your cross daily. And the disciples certainly knew what the cross symbolised. It was an instrument of death and suffering. So bearing your cross means following Jesus through thick and thin. No deviation because we don't like the hard way. No deviation because we're not masochists, but because we want to be true to, in our obedience to Christ. Christ's cross, or Jesus' cross, led to his death, which led to our salvation. Our cross may not lead to death like Jesus, but it will lead to aligning ourselves with our Saviour, whatever comes our way. Bearing your cross might mean enduring hardships, ridicule and slander because of your testimony. It may mean rejection by your family and friends, as we recently heard in the testimonies of some of the Pakistani Christians being persecuted for their faith in their own villages. But it certainly means putting on Christ's humility and not running after our own selfish desires that may lead to death. And Jesus says to us, if you want to be my disciple, then you must follow me. Following Jesus means God's word is supreme in our hearts and in our minds. It must be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. James tells us that we must be doers of the word and not just hearers. Following Christ is living as he lived, walking humbly in love, being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. For whoever wants to save his life, he said, which is a cryptic way of saying, well, if I don't turn to Jesus and I can live just as I want in this world, Jesus says they will lose their life. For that person is still dead in their sins and has rejected Jesus' offer of salvation. 
But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Which again is full of irony, isn't it? Because Jesus tells us that in him we have joy and life to the full. The actor Jim Carrey once said, I think that everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. True joy is found in Jesus and in serving him and serving others. That's true humility. I asked the question at the start of my talk, what do you want the legacy of your life to be? Is it to be successful, to be able to pass on wealth and property to children? Is it to be rich and famous? Is it to be known for your philanthropic ways? In the light of Jesus' teaching in Mark 8, wouldn't it be good if our legacy was that we were faithful and obedient servants to our Lord Jesus Christ and that we should have passed on the gospel to our family and friends, that we should see a new generation of Christians continuing to honour Christ with faithful obedience? The world might be changing, moving away from God, but you and I have the opportunity to have a godly influence on those that we know and that we interact with. You know, statistics again, they, they show that after two generations have passed, most of us will have been forgotten. But not so with our Lord. How wonderful will it be to be with Christ in eternity and to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. To me, that is the legacy we should be seeking above all else. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came, not shirking the cross, but in a simple obedience to your will, even though he was tempted to walk away. He did not. And through him, we have gained salvation, the eternal hope that we have, to live with him and in heaven and Father, we just pray for ourselves that our legacy would not be ch chasing after things of this world, but we would fi find a joy in our life in serving obedient lives to you, that we might be known for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nice, Tony.